All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. And we're back with more of our Get Lit with All of It book club event with National Book Award winner James McBride. For weeks, we've been gathering your questions and comments for James about his novel, Deacon King Kong. And last Thursday, we were able to finally pose some of those questions to him directly. I began by asking James a question from listener Elfie Rivera, who asked, how many drafts of Deacon King Kong were there and how long did it take to bring this novel to publication? I, I mean, I always go through several drafts before I even submit the book. This is one of the few books I submitted that had more like mistakes and, and needed more rewrites from perspective of Riverhead to me. Normally, I, when I submit a book, it comes back to me once or maybe twice and it's it because I've rewritten it 10 or 15 or even 20 times, especially the beginning. Um, the beginning of this book, I, I probably rewrote it. I can't count. I'd, I'd say at least 25 times. Um, but that's just part of the process. I rewrite everything. I mean, uh, you know, life is, re- I tell young writers all the time, writing is rewriting. I rewrite everything. 100%. Uh, this is Stephanie G. I love the various romances in the novel. Do you imagine Sister G and Potts ever got together? There's a lot of love online. A lot of people want to check in about that relationship. Well, uh, yes, I, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I left it out there, but I mean, she's not going to Staten Island to pick roses and, and you know, and, and buy tomatoes. I mean, you know, she's going for the big kahuna and I don't blame her. I mean, um, I, I, I love those two together. I thought that was just wonderful. I mean, they have to travel so far to be together. Um, you know, they're both married um, within their own tribe. Mm-hmm. And they have to step out, you know, from where they are to be together, you know, in the sixties or early seventies, that's a big, that's a big leap. I mean, that's, uh, um, I, I just, I, I really love pots. I mean, pots, I, you know, I, the Irish friends I have in New York, I mean, you know, I mean, of course the Irish, it doesn't matter, blah, 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 but the Irish friends that I have in New York are wonderful people. I mean, they're, they're flawed and screwed up like everybody else, but they just, there's a, there's a quality of, you know, the, there's a saying that Irish know the world will one day break your heart. Like, I mean, people should read Pete Hamill's books if they want to know what the Irish in New York went through and how they lived. Because Pete Hamill is one of New York's treasures. He should be, he should be far, he should be much better known to young readers now than ever while he's still alive. Mm. But that Potts was influenced, a lot of Potts, the influence of Potts was, came from reading Pete Hamill and knowing Pete Hamill and knowing people like him. Because Pete Hamill's a Brooklyn guy. He grew up not far from uh, Guan. He lived in the Gowanus area near Red Hook. And he knows all, he would know all these characters that I'm talking about. All right, here's Rhonda. 
My family is originally from North Carolina, and I am now in the Bronx. I love the blend of black Southern culture and, quote, up North culture. Can Mr. McBride talk more about that process? Well, it's interesting because when I was a kid, most of the blacks in New York seemed to come from the South that I knew. But they all came from different parts of South, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida. It wasn't like they all came from the, my people came from Virginia and North Carolina, like the young lady that you, you, who posed the question. But increasingly, as I grew older, I began to notice that people of color from New York in New York came from everywhere. I mean, oh, and all, and all, and all Latino people were Puerto Rican, even if they came from Dominica or the Dominican Republic, you, you considered them quote unquote Spanish, but, I've become a lot more sophisticated about that as I've gotten older. And, I, and a lot of the, the colored people of color in New York now come from all over the world. And they add a real, just a unique quality to uh, New York life that really is not really, I, I don't know, I don't see it that much in literature, but I might be the wrong guy to ask. Um, but when I was a kid, yes, the, the, the blacks in New York seem to have a much more African-American Southern tent than now. And this one's all, all caps. So this, this woman means business, Barbara. What is the story with the female assassin? She's unlike any other character. All, all caps from Barbara. Wow, well, well Barbara, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I, I really wanted to, I'm always a little nervous when I write women characters because I'm not a woman. When I wrote The Good Lord Bird, I, the reason why it was a boy posing as a girl is because I was I just didn't feel like I could write from a girl's perspective. But I wanted I wanted a female character to speak to some of the problems that happen to females in the drug world and the way they're abused and, and sexually, you know, just it, in every way. But I wanted someone to have, you know, s some muscle. And I'm just tired of the, you know, the same old thugs, you know, whatever they might, whatever their race, you know, I'm tired of the same old male uh, protagonists and antagonists. I thought it would be refreshing to have a female. And also I thought it would surprise the reader. And uh, that's why I chose, I thought she was a wonderful character. I really, really like her character a lot. Andrea is asking a question that a lot of people have been asking. I'd love to hear Mr. McBride talk about Deems. Were you sympathetic towards him? A lot of people have questions about being sympathetic towards Deems. Initially, um, when, as the, look, the book began with, okay, he shoots a drug dealer and then the story rolls out. As the story roll, rolled out, Deems became more and more real and more and more sympathetic in my head because of his relationship to Sport Coat. Because this story really at bottom was Sportcoat's story and Sportcoat and Hetty's story. But as the story started to flesh out, it's sort of like when you, it's like when you get dressed, you, you add a tie and then the tie add, then you got to add the hat, then you need a handkerchief. And then the colors start to change and the framework of characterization of Deems starts to change. And in my mind, he was a bad guy at the beginning. Hmm. At the end, he's a good guy. Oh, you know, whatever's what's a good guy? I mean, you know, I I liked his evolution, and it, Sport Coat was the one who brought him out at the very end. Sport Coat brings him out when he attacks him in the hospital. He brings him out, and that was 
all story there. That was all characters doing it on their own. There was nothing, I had nothing to do with it. I basically just played the ink on the page at that point. You know, there's a saying, you know, when I, I went back to Oberlin one time, we were doing this dedication and this guy named George Caldwell was running the band. He played with Basie for years and you know, we were going, bah, bah, da, bah, bah. and I was, he said, he stopped, he said, James, man, just play the ink, play the ink, play the music on the page, man. And at the end of the book, when Deems and Sportcoat are together in the hospital, I didn't do anything. I just got out the way. And it's one of the few scenes in the book that where I just, just the ink is that what was there, first draft, that was pretty much it. I'm going to get in one more question from one of our book club members. Who, oh, this one is super active. She's really into it. The image of the Statue of Liberty from the shores of Brooklyn is a specific one and one that you reference a few times. What, if any, symbolism does that statue hold for your characters? Enormous amount of symbolism. You know, when people put their, you know, they're always doing this stuff. You know, we live in this time where it's, you know, it's always people saluting and all this, talking about Ellis Island and all this, you know. It never seems to include the, the people who live within the shadow of it. So I thought it was, you know, I think Jake... Um, Marcy had to cut that reference a few times because I did it too many times. I just wanted to show that we still have work to do. And then what's wrong with being empathetic? We, we have to learn empathy now. We have to laugh and we have to be empathetic. We have to love and respect each other now more than ever because we have to reach out. We have to pull each other across the finish line now. So that's what the Statue of Liberty represents. And um, you know what Oscar Hammerstein said? He said something really interesting. He said, when the person who created the Statue of Liberty put it together, he didn't know that someone would create a helicopter that could fly behind her head and take the picture of the back of her head, which is so beautifully done to the hair and so forth. He didn't know that would happen. He didn't know that they created that, the helicopter would be able to do that. He just did it because he wanted to create something beautiful. We don't know who's watching us. But at some point, there's going to be a helicopter circling the back of our head, some kind of spiritual helicopter. And, you know, are we taking care of each other? Are we taking care of business? That's our job. That's my job, to see that people, to show people that we love each other and they were capable of taking care of each other. And it's a, it's a wonderful job to have. It's a privilege to have that job. What a lovely place to end. That was James McBride, author of our Get Lit with All of It book club selection for April, Deacon King Kong. We asked him your questions from our listeners about the novel. All of It is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.